wasn't there. But today we're going to talk about honesty. As you know, if you've been watching your television or reading very much right now, we're in the middle of primary elections that are going on across our nation. And it'll be long and it'll be a lot of stuff going on between now and when we finally vote in all these publicized uh, political campaigns, you're going to hear a lot of things. You're going to hear charges and counter charges, dishonesty and deception. You're going to just hear that. It happens every time and you'll hear it. One cover story just recently said, it began an article by saying, lying, everybody's doing it. The article went on and began like this, lies, lies, and lies. And it raised the question, is there anybody around here telling the truth? We sometimes wonder, don't we? The irony of honesty is that every one of us want to be treated with honesty. In fact, we just disdain people who are not honest. That's the way we feel. But the reality of all this is we talk about honesty, but we don't practice very much of it. Hardly at all. If you ask parents, as a survey did, what they had rather see in their children, what characteristic in their children more than anything else, majority said honesty. They would like honesty in their children. A survey, I thought this was interesting, revealed that 91% of all Americans lie regularly. How can you even believe a survey like that? If we're all lying, we can't, can we? Not at all. Goodness, uh, there's a whole lot of truth decay going on, isn't there? And we cannot find the center, it seems like, where we are honest with all that is going on. You heard just this last week, somebody apologized for misspeaking or for misuse of words just in Washington. That happens all the time, not just in Washington Everywhere else, just this past week. In another survey on the subject of lying and honesty, 66% in this nation say that it is not wrong to tell lies. Only 31% in that survey believed that honesty was the best policy. You've probably heard this name, especially if you're around law enforcement. But Dr. Leonard Keeler, who invented the lie detector, after giving that test to hundred or over 125,000 people, he just says that he came to the conclusion that human beings are basically deceptive. And that's probably not news, is it? We would agree with that. Have you ever thought of every opportunity you have to be dishonest through the day? Just think about them. There's a lot of them in every conversation, in every phone call, in every text, every social media posting, every time that we're around somebody, every interaction. All these are countless uh, 
possibilities of us being dishonest. We do that a lot. Someone said that you'll hear or see 200 lies a day if you look close for them. Some of them are well well worn. You know these. The check is in the mail. The doctor will call you right back. It was good to see you. Your table will be ready in a few minutes. Dishonesty has a lot of different faces in our lives, but I want to tell you it has a common result. And the common result is that it strangles life out of us. That's exactly what dishonesty does. It just strangles the life right out of us. God has given us a standard for truth for each of us in this church, in our family, in our nation. Hope you have your Bibles. You will turn with me to Exodus, the 20th chapter. We're going to be in verse 16 of Exodus 20, and then we're going to sneak over in Psalms 34, verses 12 and 13. So you might want to hold both of those if you want to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read aloud. And I want to ask you, if you would, would you stand and follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read these verses aloud. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's what God tells us in His Word. And then I will take you over to Psalms, the 34th chapter and the 12th and the 13th verses of that chapter, which is interesting. Listen to what it says, verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? I just pause. Is there any person who doesn't want that for their life? But then listen to verse 13. If you want to have that kind of life, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Keep your tongue from evil and your mouth from speaking deceit. That's what God tells us. God wants the best for us. And He says the best for us is that we not lie. We not lie. We're not to do that. But there's a lot of that going on in there. Why is it such a problem? Would you pray with me? God's forgiveness is always preceded by genuine repentance on the part of the disobedient. Every time. Father, you have told us in your word that those who hear the word of God and observe it will be blessed. You're always faithful to your word. I pray that for myself and for Crossroads that we will experience the peace of your wonderful forgiveness as we turn from our sin and return to obedience to the loving arms of a gracious God. And as we study these commandments, I pray that your word be powerfully active in our church, in our own nation, 
and in our lives specifically. I pray that Your Word will be used to judge our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And Father, I pray that You would give us a Bible-based conscience. And I pray specifically for myself that You would forgive me for a self-satisfied tolerance of my sin. Oh, Father, may your conviction overcome my reluctance and your word be powerful as it's lived through my life. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's talk about the problem of dishonesty this morning as we look at this in the ninth commandment. We embrace and we reward truths. Dishonesty is promoted in our culture. It's just promoted in our culture and we embrace it. The dust of dishonesty, somebody said, was flying everywhere. It's everywhere we look. We now expect dishonesty. It's just part of our culture, we say. Not only in the political realm, we expect dishonesty in advertisement. We expect dishonesty in every degree. We expect dishonesty in our churches, in the high profile and the no profile. We expect dishonesty in business. We expect dishonesty in our universities and our centers of education. We expect it. It's just part of where we live and a part of the culture that we're a part of. Proverbs 17 verse 20 says, A man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. God's Word tells us that. Let me give you another of this. Number two, dishonesty is present in our nature. We were born this way. It's deeper than our culture. It's part of our nature. There's something about me and something about you that's warped and is flawed. And we're drawn to lying and to not telling the truth. Psalms 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies, even partial twisted lies. We do that. Our nature is wicked. Lying is natural for us. We have a natural resistance to truth. Isn't that amazing? That's how we are. The third thing I want you to see about this problem with dishonesty is that it's a part of our spiritual structure. It's beyond our nature, even in our spiritual structure. It's much larger than we are. And we sometimes are unaware of what we're entangled in or caught up in. There's a struggle going on in the cosmos. And we're in the middle of all of that. We call it light versus darkness. We call it good versus evil. We call it God versus Satan. And we're caught up in this as well as all the dishonesty around us from every other direction. And Satan wants to draw us into this battle. John 8 verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and, you, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. 
because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what God tells us about Satan. We have a choice. Being in the middle of all this battle, we do have a choice. We can follow our nature, we can follow our culture, or we can follow our Creator. We can do that. God's righteousness hates dishonesty because it's the very nature of Satan. That's the reason he hates it. That's the reason that it is so much a part of our being and our life. Let me speak to you very personally from experience. Tell you something about lying. The great problem with dishonesty is that dishonesty leaves a wound in you and in me. It does. It wounds our very soul, our very spirit. Can you not right now go back in your mind and remember a specific incident when you told a lie and it's just as real to you today as if you'd told it five minutes ago? Yeah, we all have that. I wish I'd never done that, we think to ourselves. And what happens is that just has wounded our spirit. That's the tragedy of it. We remember that. And when we do that once, it just opens the door, it seems like, to more deception. Let me give you the types and motives of my lie. The first one there on your outline, the cruel lie motivated by resentment. It's a lie that is said just to bring harm to you and to bring destructive and malicious things to you. Intentionally, it's told by that reason. I heard about this story of an Englishman and an Irishman walking their dogs, meeting in the park in England. When they met there, the Irishman asked the Englishman, what kind of dog is that that you have? I've never seen a dog like that. It's sort of a strange looking dog. The Englishman replied in describing his dog, he said, it's a long-nosed, short-tailed, short-legged terrier. And he said, I've never heard of that. The Irishman said, I've never heard of a dog like that. But he looked at that dog, even though he was puzzled, but he made a proposal. He said, let me tell you something about that. He said, I bet my wolfhound can beat your terrier. I'll bet it by 50 pounds that it can beat your terrier. Well, the Englishman took this Irishman up on this wager, this challenge. And so the ensuing fight was bloody and terrible. I mean, just stripped that dog to pieces. The wolfhound, there was nothing left of him. And as the Englishman took his 50 pounds in winning the wager, he said to the Irishman, some people in England call this an alligator. (laughs) Maliciously told to hurt. And we laugh at that, but that's some of the lies that we hide behind, didn't it? This lie was told to hurt, to slander and to discredit. Making up a story with an intentional purpose to hurt somebody and to damage somebody's reputation. The Pharisees and the Sadducees did this with Jesus Christ, if you remember. That's how they killed him. 
the malicious lies that they said. Secondly, the cowardly lie that's motivated by fear. We have those. We tell these to escape the consequences, to avoid punishment or pain or embarrassment. We're going to make up a lie to cover that. We don't want to go through that. We do that. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare. If I fear you and what you think about me, then I begin to try to find a way to lie out of that. And it's so easy to do. We want to protect our pride. We are afraid to say no. So we try to build ourselves up. There's a third thing that we do. It's or the third type of lie that we tell. It's the conceited lie motivated by insecurity. Think about this for a minute. I lie to impress. I want to create an image of me. I want to cover up part of me that I don't want you to see. That's my low self-esteem. And so in order to cover that up, I'm going to lie. I'm going to lie. You know, bragging and lying are first cousins. They're very close to each other. My pride, my ego wants to be propped up. I do this with exaggeration. I don't think I'm a good enough. I don't think I'm good enough around you and I don't match up to where you are. So in order that my feelings will not be hurt and not feel like I have some esteem left, I'm going to lie. I'm going to prop myself up so that I will look better in your eyes. This is, where we, this is the type of lie we tell when we want to cover our hurt. There's a fourth type It's the calculated lie motivated by selfishness. I tell this lie to manipulate you or others when I want to get my way. When I want what I want and I want it now, I'll lie about it if that's what it takes to get it. I'll do whatever it takes to satisfy my selfishness, even if it means to lie. If I love money, then I'll do whatever it takes to lie that I might get that. There's a fifth one. It's the convenient lie motivated by laziness. Now listen carefully, because this affects almost every church I've ever been a part of. We're all guilty of this. We lie because it takes too much effort to tell the truth. We don't want to get involved, so we'll say, I really don't know anything about that. I didn't see anything. And when I'm too busy to get the facts, I'll go ahead and spread the gossip. Think about that. You may not know this unless you're in law enforcement. I didn't know this until some time ago. When you steal something, that's a crime. You knew that. But if you receive stolen product or stolen property and you fence that or sell that to somebody else... That's a greater crime than stealing it the first time. Did you know that? It's a felony if you take it and resell it knowing that it's stolen. In other words, when we apply this to gossip, when I hear gossip and I don't take the time to find out the truth and I just pass it on, it's a felony as far as God is concerned. You think about that. It's what He tells us. We do that all the time. Somebody gives me stolen goods and I just pass them on, it seems. I'm too lazy to get the facts. 
You're in a social setting and you really don't like what's going on. You're sort of bored and tired and you say, I've got to leave. I need to get home. We do things like that all the time because it's convenient to do that. It takes more effort to do something else. You ever tell people they look good? To try to prop them up a little bit? You ever tell the preacher that's a great message when it wasn't? Uh, we do those kind of things all the time. We call that diplom- diplomacy, don't we? God calls it lying. I heard this story. I'm going to tell it in fear of what's going to happen to me, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I, tur- I heard about this young son who was having trouble between the difference, uh, having trouble understanding the concept of diplomacy. His father was trying to teach him. And his father said, son, think of it like this. If I said to your mother, your face would stop a clock, that'd just be stupid. But he said, if I said, honey, when I look at your face, time stands still. That's diplomacy. Now, if your husband laughed too loud, you just reach over and punch him, okay? Ah, goodness. How do you tell the truth? First of all, you tell the truth completely. Completely. Lying is an intention to mislead. Therefore, when I tell a half-truth, I'm telling a whole lie. That's exactly what I'm doing. We can lie by falsifying. We can lie by concealing. We can lie in a lot of ways. We can lie by not even saying a thing, without even a word. Holding back a half-truth is deceptive. God says, we're not to do that. Lying is intention to mislead. And there is so many ways to do that. I heard this story from a preacher. So you can put whatever into, whatever belief into it as you want to. But he tells this story that as a young boy growing up in his house, he had a curfew. He had to be home by 12 o'clock. He could not stay out past 12 any night. And so one night he came home at 2 a.m. in the morning. He was walking up the steps as careful as he possibly could. And in spite of that, he stepped on this step that creaked. And soon as it made that noise, his father woke up. And his father called out and says, Is that you, Bobby? And he said, Yeah. And then his dad asked him, What time is it? And before Bobby could say a word, the cuckoo clock struck two times. And then, and this is according to his own statement, he said, this was the most ingenious moment my life has ever had. He stood on that step and he cuckooed ten more times. (laughs) He said, I've never had anything that great come to me before. Well, it got him out of trouble and some of you may can use that if you have to. But I want to tell you, we look at every way, don't we? Proverbs 10, verse 10 says, Whoever winks the eye, that means holds back the truth, that wink the eye does, causes trouble. Concealing the, tr- the truth brings resentment. It brings mistrust. It causes superfici- superficiality. We get in, in trouble by not meaning to say what we ought to say. I've seen couples that I have dealt with in premarital counseling 
that never was honest enough. They refused to be honest with each other in acknowledging gigantic differences between the two. They wouldn't admit that. They wouldn't talk about it. They wouldn't be honest about their feelings. Proverbs 28 verse 23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. People appreciate frankness. That's what I'm trying to say. So tell the truth completely. That's what a person has to do. We need to tell it completely. And it makes a difference when we do. Now, it requires confrontation, and that's a difficult thing for all of us. How do you tell the truth? Secondly, you tell it consistently. Consistently. Because being honest 80% of the time is being dishonest 20% of the time. And no one will know the difference what time you're in, whether it's the honest time or the dishonest time. It's like the little boy who cried wolf. No one knows when you're telling that truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, Let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Paul is saying there in Ephesians that honesty is to be a lifestyle. To be trusted means I've got to be consistent. Consistent. Proverbs 11 verse 38 The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Dishonesty destroys us. When I always tell the truth, I don't have to worry about what I've told somebody else or what I said in the past. Lying sabotages success. It destroys relationships. It damages character. Don't do it. Every relationship is built on one word, and it's the word trust. Truth-telling reduces truth-building, but deception destroys trust. Proverbs 13, verse 17, A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy, our messenger, brings healing. Marriages don't progress if one or both are not telling the truth. Consistent faithfulness is important, essential in a marriage. If we're going to grow, we're going to be what God wants us to be in that marriage. Being honest means you don't, doesn't mean you have to be brutal. I want to tell you, you can tell the truth lovingly. That's the third thing. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love are speaking the truth in the grace of love. That's what God wants us to do. Don't use the truth as a club. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Everybody in this place this morning, think about this just for a moment. Who would you really like to see some change in their life? Think about that person. You've got their name in your mind now. Let me tell you how you deal with that. Let me give you two things that you need to do. People change easier when I speak the truth in the spirit of love. So that's where you've got to start. And people perceive truth without love 
as an attack. If you don't show that love, they're not going to buy into what you're saying. It doesn't matter that it's truth. If it's not in genuine love, people will resist it. They don't want that. They have trouble with that. They become defensive. The Arabs have an old proverb that says, when you shoot an arrow, dip it in honey first. That's what we're talking about. How do I know I'm speaking the truth in love? Ask yourself this. Do I want that person to change for my benefit? Do I? Do I want that person to change so that my life will be a little easier? Or so that they'll know I'm superior? Or do I really want that person to change for their benefit? That's how we're to approach that. Ephesians 4.29, let no corruption or no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of others. That's what we're talking about. How do I tell the truth? Number four, I tell the truth tactfully. And that means with grace, God's grace. When I have the need to share a tough truth, the solution is never deception, but it's that tact, that grace of God. What problems are you ignoring in a relationship? Pretending it's not a problem when it really is and it just keeps getting worse. What is it that you don't face up to that you should? The truth you know sets you free. The truth you do not know or what you do not know will never set you free. It's truth that we must know. Proverbs 12, verse 18, There is one whose rash words are like sword, are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When I do it completely, consistently, lovingly, and tactfully, it makes a difference. It brings healing. I have an option with my word. They can hurt, they can heal, they can destroy, they can build, they can delight, they can devastate. Your words have tremendous power. Thoughtless words always wound. And you know that a wound from somebody's words is more painful than a physical wound. It'll last longer so many times. When I speak the word with tact and love, I can make a point without making an enemy. We can do that. We know those emotional wounds are difficult to get rid of. Share the truth with grace. Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. When we're wise, think about what you speak before you speak it. Contemplate it before you speak it out verbally. Put your mind in gear before you put your mouth into action. What have you not been willing to share with someone or to deal with something? Do it that way. Timing is important. Ecclesiastes 8.6 says, For there is a time and a way for everything, including 
the difficult things that we share with others. If I'll do four things, if you will do four things, we'll be an honest person. Speak the truth completely, consistently, lovingly, and tactfully. We don't do that in our lives. We don't do that in our churches. We don't do that in our nation. We don't do that. Why don't we do that? Well, let me give you some life application. Matthew 12, verse 34. Listen to this carefully. For out of the abundance of the heart, of the heart, the mouth speaks. Did you hear that? God is saying the problem with Kent Workman is not that hole in my face that contains the teeth and the tongue. It's my heart. It's my heart. That's the problem. That's where it comes from, out of my heart. That's really an indication of who I am on the inside. Matthew 15 verse 19 says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, and listen to this last one. False witness and slander. That's what comes out of the heart when we're in charge of it. And when it comes to lying, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart, friend. That's our problem. It's our heart. That's what has to be changed. I cannot become an honest person until my heart changes. I cannot be a person of integrity until my heart is changed. That's what I'm talking about. And that heart is a symptom of a deeper problem that I need God to work with. My heart's filled with resentment and fear and insecurity and selfishness and laziness. What's the solution to all of this? First, I must have a new heart. And God is the only one I know that really specializes in new hearts. When God gives me a new heart, He begins to fill my heart with love and joy and peace, confidence, compassion, instead of all those things that have been filling it up to this point. Jesus said, I am the truth. Truth is a person, not an abstract feeling or emotion. Truth is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whose I am determines who I am. When I belong to Jesus Christ, my life begins to be different. Jesus said, I am the truth. He is the truth. And He will give us that truth when He gives us a new heart. How do you begin to tell the truth if you're having trouble telling it? Friend, you have to begin by this, by confessing your dishonesty. I am dishonest. And we confess that dishonesty. And then you ask God to give you a new heart. Yes, God, to forgive you. That's the beginning of change. 
If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't know what it's like to have a heart like that. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you'll be saved. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never received Him as your Lord. When you do, you begin to get support. You get the support of God's Holy Spirit that lives inside of His children. And that support begins to give us that nature that we're to have as we deal with people and as we deal with this problem of lying, this problem of dishonesty. His Spirit holds us accountable. And then it begins to guide and direct us and sustain us so that we'll be honest. That's what a church family is all about. God gives us a church family. That's what His Holy Spirit is all about. But it begins by confessing, I am a sinner. That's the way every relationship with Jesus Christ begins. Have you done that? You know, I want to tell you something. More than anything that I ever do in this church, or ever will be in this church, is... My desire is that I don't want to have to stand before God one day and say, Kent, you did not share the gospel so that that person might come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. I don't know your hearts. But I want to tell you something, friend. The greatest thing that can ever happen to you is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. To say, in honesty... God, I confess my sin. I have sinned against you. It may have touched other people, but it begins with sin against you. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we have our invitation. And I'm going to invite you to be honest with God this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with. And I really don't know who is a follower of Christ in this church and who's not. I cannot know your heart like you cannot know my heart. But I cannot believe you're here by accident this morning. I believe that God again in His love and His mercy calls out to you and calls out to me. And for some of you, you may not have ever received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You come to church, there's a lot of good things about your life, but you have never agreed with Him that you're a sinner and that you've never asked Him to become the Lord of your life. You've surrendered your own life to Him. Would you do that this morning? I believe that people who do that are not ashamed. I'm going to ask you, would you do that? And would you even publicly tell us that you do that? If God's dealing with you. Maybe you're a child of God. But things are not right in your life. We've been described by lying that we've looked at. And you know that's not right. Maybe this morning in this place, you've not been obedient to God in some other things. Maybe church membership. Maybe baptism. And you know you belong to Him. And He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I ask you to do if you love me. Would you right now, during this invitation, would you say yes? And would you say it publicly? Father, as we listen and as we wait, 
I pray for that man, that woman, that young person that you may be dealing with. I pray, Father, for that one who's never received you as Lord. They wonder why life is so difficult and there is no peace and no purpose in their life. Father, your spirit is trying to tell us we have never confessed our sin and by faith received you as the boss, the Lord of our life. Father, I pray for that person right now that they would ask you for forgiveness and by faith receive you. And that, Father, they would share those of us who are your children, may we be honest with you in our lifestyle, in our speech. And Father, I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated just a moment before we receive our offering. Let me remind you again to put that card in there if you're a first-time guest and no money because you're our guest this morning. I share with you a story, a real story that I read not too long ago but really has a strong point too. There was a soldier who returned from World War II and he had lost an arm in the war. And when he had gotten back to the States, someone was interviewing him And they asked this question, how did he lose your arm? And his answer was very swift and to the point. He said, I didn't lose my arm, I gave it. I didn't lose my arm, I gave it. A lot of people look at this situation of tithing and of giving what God has said belongs to him as really a loss. We put it on the lost side of the balance sheet. Friend, I want to tell you something. God says that tithing is not a loss. Oh, goodness, no. It's giving. And it's the difference of the purpose as how we look at it. Friend, I want to tell you, if you believe in the purpose, tithing is an asset. An asset. My desire for you and for our church is that we would see it as that. God bless you. As you do. We've got a few. Whoa.